Welcome back to the Aeon Pensions Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Sophie Moore and Adam Hayes, both consultants within the DC team. We dive into more of the DC research, looking at contribution rates, what we need to do to save, and how to set targets. Welcome back to the Aeon Pensions Podcast. I'm joined today by Sophie Moore and Adam Hayes. Welcome both. Hi. Thank you. And today we're talking about ending up with enough. So Sophie, could you tell me a bit about your role here? I work here as part of Aeon's DC team. I'm essentially just devising a range of DC pension schemes, pretty much on all aspects of DC issues. A lot on investment strategy design, implementation, monitoring, governance, just trying to find solutions. And Adam, welcome. What's what's your role here? Thank you. I'm also an investment consultant in um, Aeon's <laughs> DC team. I work closely with Sophie and with a, a number of the other senior consultants in the team. So ending up with enough contribution rates, what's the issue and why are we here today talking about this? Firstly, it's a really important decision, probably the most important decision if we take it back to a member level. Um, we do a lot of work with all sorts of different schemes, um, but actually the amount they put in the amount they save on a regular basis is going to be the key driving factor of that ultimate retirement outcome. So it's an important decision. Are they aware it's an important decision? You'd hope they would be, but I think for members in general, it's one of those issues that is so far, certainly from the younger members, so far into the future, there's so many other variables at play that it tends to get put into a sort of too hard box. And I mean, we know anyway that members aren't engaging in taking pensions decisions as much as they potentially should be. Um, so yeah, uh, certainly. I think the, the word pension itself <laughs> is scary, especially to the younger generation. No one really knows what they need to do for a pension. I'd be surprised if the younger generation could describe the difference between a DB and a DC pension, yeah. never mind know how much Definitely. they're saving into their, their DC pension. I've got, I've got friends who would have no idea. I, I used to have friends before I joined the pensions <laughs> consultancy. <laughs> is, is, mean, is DB like the VHS cassette? Just, you know, only few people know what it is. Yeah, the golden VHS <laughs> cassette. Exactly, gold dust, that one. I mean, part of the analytics work we've done with um, a lot of schemes is actually looking at sensitivity analysis. So what would happen to your projected retirement outcome at then age 65, or, or might, it might be maybe even 67 now, given where the industry is moving in terms of their retirement, if they were to increase contributions by 1% or by 5%, actually even a small increase can make a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And I think that's a key message that we do need to get through to members. Yeah, and, and just to reiterate that point, I, I've been working with a number of clients on a similar project to what Sophie was describing, and the clients are always so, so surprised by the large difference, only 1% or half percent in the contributions makes to the overall pot at retirement. It really does make a big difference once compounded over yeah. 10, 20 years. Yeah, that's the key. It's that, that longer time horizon for DC savers, it can really make a difference. I mean, I mean, the other aspect in terms of why it's important, um, it's one area of our survey that shows some real disconnects. So we had more than a thousand respondents across a whole range of backgrounds, and the majority were expecting their company pension to be their main source of retirement income. And yet, on the other side, you've got the, the fact that less than half had actually even considered goal setting. Um, and we had 20% of employees taking advantage of matching contributions. So, you know, 80% who are missing out and one in eight who don't know how much their employer is paying in for them. 
So I think wow. quite a lot of relatively worrying statistics that we probably need to, as an industry, I think, start to address. Um, the other issue, I think, is just because it's really hard. Um, we've talked about, you know, not, not necessarily engaging with, with those sort of longer term decisions, but there's so many variables at play. And more generally, I think even financial literacy is hard. I mean, something like 40% of people don't really understand inflation and how it impacts the real value of money. So when it comes yeah. to, the, you know, pensions, that's an even harder challenge when it's thinking about you know, a long time in the future and actually planning for those future scenarios. Yeah, I, I, in, in terms of the financial literacy point, I think I read a, a, sta a statement that said only 20% of the population could not read a, a bank statement <laughs> or did not understand the, the debit and credit section of a, a bank statement. So when you ban return pension out there, <laughs> wow, we need more education, I think it's fair to say. So how much are people putting away towards their pension? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, everyone puts away a different amount. Generally, most people are not contributing enough. Um, I know it's a sweeping statement, but generally across the UK, people just do not contribute enough, or at least enough to maintain the same standard of living as their pre-retirement needs. Um, members' needs generally are, are, are evolving, and we no longer have that golden VHS DB pension <laughs> saved away on the top shelf. We're now relying on, on the DC only pot. So contributions become more and more important. Um, in terms of auto-enrollment contributions, the minimum's currently set at 5%, increasing to 8% um, in April next year. That's the minimum, but what are members actually doing? Well, our survey showed that members are contributing between three and 10%, which is around the minimum contribution level, which you'd expect. It's not, it's not a good situation. We'd like to see members contributing more than the minimum, but unfortunately members are anchored by the minimum. So it's a behavioral finance term, it's an anchor. If you're enrolled on 2%, do you assume that 2% is sufficient? Probably, you probably don't think too far in advance. You're definitely not thinking to retirement. You think, oh, yeah. it's enough for now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, mu it must be fine because my company's enrolled me on this. Yeah, I think, I think that's really powerful. It really came out in the survey. So, uh, you know, a thousand or so members, we, we actually asked, you know, how do you decide how much money to save in your company pension scheme? And 46% said, whatever the employer sets me in at, so whatever the default level is. And it was actually nothing to do with forward planning, thinking about their individual financial needs and I think that's you know so that's just employer-led exactly yeah uh, and I think there's probably a number of uh, schemes out there and I think that would be one for you know HR departments and companies to really think about actually be aware that you are having an impact implicitly on on members sort of future savings and that's why a lot of this um, analytics work to look at adequacy I think is so helpful because it's understanding are your members on track you know is there more we can be doing to mm. help what is the what is the right level of target I mean, there's been various studies trying to look at this, trying to understand actually thinking into retirement, you know, how much money do members need in order to meet all the financial demands, maybe sort of higher care costs, all their, all their costs in retirement. Probably the most comprehensive, certainly in the UK, is work by the Pensions Commission. Um, and that looked again at target replacement ratio. So this amount of income needed to maintain current living standards. Um, which they then split down by earnings bands, but essentially where they got to was it's somewhere between 50, 50 and 80% in total as a replacement ratio, and that's taking into account the, the state pension, which is, is currently just over 8,500. 
Um, I guess what we need to build into that is thinking about um, accounting for the state pension and how that impacts actually what you need from the company part of the pension. So you might not be so surprised to, to sort of think about the fact that um, the target's the highest for those lower earners. You know, they need a higher replacement ratio overall. But because the state pension is a bigger proportion for them, actually the company pension doesn't need to deliver as much. Yeah. It's actually at the other side of the scale. Well, right at one end, I guess we've got the really high earners where it's it's less of a problem around the saving. It's more about tax issues, making sure members don't get caught out. But certainly the middle to high earners, um, whilst they need a slightly lower replacement ratio overall, the state pension is only a small part. So actually what needs to be provided by the company pension is the vast majority and that sort of squeezed middle population is, is where we're seeing a lot of pressure at the moment in terms of making sure those members save enough. And of course it's that middle ground that is probably the less least engaged. Yes and they've got loads of other stuff going on yeah. as well and, and you know it's that whole fi financial wellness piece and I know there's a whole another section of the survey with, with lots of interesting kind of statistics around that but it, it is a really challenging time um, I think for those members in particular. Uh, and by that time, they really need to be stepping up the amount they're saving if they're going to get there by by the time they retire. I mean, thinking about it from a member perspective, um, we know that having a target is really important. So it is individual. I think there needs to be some onus on individuals to take it, um, to take ownership of making sure they are on track. Um, so we do need members to engage with with actually having a target uh, in order for it to be successful. I mean, very high level sort of broad terms. When you then back it out through the calculations. In terms of sort of rule of thumb, we think you need to be saving somewhere between 12% and 19% of your salary every year from kind of when you start at a young age, maybe age 25, through right through to retirement. So probably feels like quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you. Is it, do you think you're saving enough? Uh, after today, certainly not. <laughs> um, I'm now more worried than I was five minutes ago. Um, but yeah, I think I've, you know, Definitely guilty of burying my head in the sand and you know worrying about um, financial issues today rather than um, you know much later tomorrow. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, and I don't think probably the the terminology around target replacement ratio necessarily kind of helps us as an industry. I think there was probably a bit of awareness of that. I mean, is that something you've come across before? It's not something I've come across before, but you, I think we are very jargon heavy in pensions, and I, and I think that really doesn't help. Um, you know, get the engagement that um, that it deserves. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole replacement ratio it's it's incredibly confusing. I mean, outside of the pensions industry, I'd be surprised if even the most financially literate could accurately describe how to calculate replacement ratio. Um, so something in the UK has to change, and I think we need to look to the more developed DC markets, such as the US, potentially more so Australia, mm. in terms of what we can learn from target setting, which replacement ratio is just far too confusing for, for members. Yeah, I mean, interesting, I think, if we think about the US, you know, they've got similar issues. So still one in three are saving nowhere near enough. Um, on average, you know, members still need to be putting away something like 16% a year, I think mm. the last um, research I saw on that one, from age 25, assuming they're gonna retire at age 67. But actually in practice, they're only saving sort of between four and seven percent and maybe won't have enough till their age 70 so it's it's the same kind of issue um they tend to focus on 
multiple of salary when they think about adequacy of retirement savings. So it's still a replacement ratio type uh, calculation, but perhaps a little bit more easy to understand. So you'll hear things like, you know, looking for 11 times pay at retirement's a number um, that certainly our US colleagues have put on that. So if by it's the time you get more visual, retirement, isn't it? You can kind well, of hopefully, you can yeah. mentally picture that. It, you, it, you it doesn't require a ratio. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's a multiple. It's a times number. It's easier than a, than yeah. a divide. And I think to that point, they, they use the fact that it's maybe a bit more relatable to, 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 to build that into um, communications yeah. and then be able to say, okay, this is, this is potentially what we yeah. need to aim for. But as, as you mentioned, Sophie, it's, it's still quite similar to the, to the UK yeah. model in that it requires a calculation and it's based on your salary at retirement. The Australian model is much more tangible and it's based on a pot size at retirement. So the Australian model's actually been around for 15 years-ish. Um, it was introduced in 2004, believe it or not. So how the UK and U the US still haven't managed to adapt something similar, not quite sure, but hopefully <laughs> work in progress. Um, so the Australian model, um, it's called retirement standard, splits retirement into three standards, um, comfortable retirement, modest retirement, and age pension. Comfortable retirement being that with the largest pot. So what the Australian model does is place an amount on each of those three categories. So a comfortable retirement, for example, is 640,000 <laughs> Australian dollars at retirement. Um, and what that means is for a couple that retires on this amount, they can afford an annual holiday in Australia or owning a reasonable car, wearing good clothes, um, <laughs> affording bottled wine. On the flip side, the age pension, which is the bottom category, um, savings required are 35,000 Australian dollars. And what this affords them is, well, short breaks, day trips. They may not be able to afford a car um, or may struggle to afford repairs, basic clothes, Homebrew beer? Not sure, not quite sure what that is, I'm sure. Our Australian colleagues will be able to help us out. I'm sure it's strong. <laughs> I'm picturing it already. Yeah. It, does, it does make you kind of think about where you are. Um, and I think the, the important thing to take from this is putting tangible assets on what your retirement income can afford you is much more helpful than a ratio at retirement it's much easier to target an amount at retirement than it is to target a ratio because mm. to calculate the ratio you need to know what your salary will be at retirement i probably have 30 <laughs> hopefully not 40 years to retirement <laughs> so i have no idea what my salary will be at that point so yeah. for me i i can't calculate replacement ratio and i'm supposedly an investment consultant <laughs> so Good luck to... No, supposedly um, about it. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't do it, we're all doomed. <laughs> I mean, you say work in progress. I feel like in some ways it is starting to be work in progress, which I think is a good sign for the industry more generally. So take the recent PLSA consultation around hitting the target. A lot of that is around, you know, potentially can we move towards something that's more like the Australian approach. Uh, there's lots of support through that consultation for some of the clear communication angles, um, making the targets tangible, all the behavioural support around that. I think a part of their final recommendations is developing national retirement income targets that they'll be looking to roll out sort of across the UK as a whole and also pulling up those minimum contributions to you know, 12% 
which for some, you know, may still not be enough, but I think it's a good step towards actually just getting contributions up in general. And, and, and is that going to be through compulsion? Yeah, absolutely. So it's yeah. about building it into the alter enrolment type framework that's already in place in the UK and just really seeing how far, you know, we can take that in terms of getting members sort of back on track for something that um, should be considered adequate by the time they get to retirement age. So what can employers do to help? Well, every scheme is different. So I think it's going to be different in different situations. Um, one thing that is really useful, I think, for all the schemes is really understanding the membership profile and, uh, you know, whether the membership as a whole is on track and where those different groups are. And I think that's something that our DC Analytics work has been really helpful in terms of um, sort of segmenting that workforce. Um, from a practical perspective, I mean, you talked about sort of actually, you know, should we force yeah. members to contribute more? There's there's lots of options around that. I think particularly for sort of HR and companies, it's something they really need to think about. Yeah, I, so, think, I think there's two two main options there, really. And so for you spoke about one, which is auto escalation. Mm. The other one is potentially enrolling members at the, the highest possible contribution rate. So rather than enrolling members on the minimum contribution, why not enroll them on the highest contribution? If that's not suitable, they have the option to dial down. But at that point, they've then engaged in their pension, which is a huge problem that we struggle with. So that forces a level of education as well, because... Absolutely. I think at that point, a member thinks, well, I can't afford this. Hopefully the brain engages and then they consider how much they can afford rather than going to the minimum, which is what they're being enrolled on at the moment. Yeah, we've seen a lot of success with that type of strategy in the US in particular. So I think that's one that is now starting to be used more and more in the UK. And I mean, it's not going to necessarily work for every company because, you know, it's got to be an affordable solution long term. But certainly at least thinking about that and working out actually what they, what you can afford as a company. I think for trustees, you know, what do members need to get them there in terms of um, that sort of adequate retirement and, and contributions is always going to be a really key factor as well. Yeah. And do employers need to, you know, keep thinking about new members and you know people coming into the workforce because it's far easier to um, adopt a highest contribution rate to people joining the company uh, or you know people starting their career as opposed to the senior executives that are you know used to <laughs> banking that salary yeah i think i think more holistically education needs to improve so as simple things like telling members how much their pot would increase by if they were to increase contributions by 0.5% or by 1% is a, is a member really going to miss that 1% of their salary? Probably not for the majority. And that has a huge, huge effect on the pot at retirement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, coming back to kind of where we are in terms of different generations coming through, I think in some ways it is that younger generation who are just starting out on DC savings that some of these schemes really do need to focus on because it's just becoming harder. Yeah. So DB pensions are essentially sort of, dying out to some extent. I mean, we're not in a sort of lucky situation now where we have access mm -hmm. to to necessarily any DB benefits. Um, there's sort of lower levels of home ownership. I mean, it, you see that in London all the time. It is really a challenge. Um, and so for those members, really starting them saving at the highest possible level um, early on, um, like Adam mentioned earlier, the compounding will start to hopefully get them there. Brilliant. Well, we're out of time for today, but thank you, Sophie and Adam, for taking time out to share your thoughts. 
And um, I'm going to go off and have a look for my golden VHS, <laughs> see if there's one hiding on the shelf yeah. somewhere. Thank you both. Thanks Thank very you. much.